the best analogy is, you know, take a pot of stew. In that stew, you've got chunks of beef, carrot, potatoes. Think of those as the carbon, the chromium, the bandium, just as a few of the components that go in to make a blade steel. That's your normal steel. Welcome back to the From Field to Plate podcast. I'm Jeremiah Dowdy, and today I'm joined by Sean Cobble from Templar Knives. Um, you might not have ever heard of Templar Knives. I know that I didn't hear about it till earlier this year, but I had the privilege of using one of their newest um, blades, and I was absolutely blown away. So I knew when I started this podcast, I had to have someone on from over there to chit-chat about these blades and these knives. So... Thank you, Sean, for coming on and talking with us today and kind of explaining a little bit about who Templar is. Oh, absolutely, Jeremiah. We're extremely grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, so just what I do with all the guests to kind of start off, I think it's fun um, to start off with something that a lot of people really, you know, don't really know much about. So for me, being a food guy and being in the food industry, I'm really curious to know what is the best meal you've ever eaten? What is your favorite meal? It could be a restaurant. It could be your mom's macaroni and cheese, but like the best meal that you've ever eaten and kind of like why or where that was. I would say, and this is kind of funny because I never thought about it that much because I'm a big beef eater, love steaks. But I think probably one of the best meals I ever ate was when I was a kid because we always went quail hunting and all that stuff. We had a big old mess of blue quail fried up with mashed potatoes, gravy, homemade biscuits, you know, fried okra, the whole nine yards. And that one, it's kind of strange that that one popped up to the top of my head right off the bat because before that, I'd have probably said, well, any big old choice ribeye, prime right. ribeye. <laughs> big old steak with some <laughs> S&P on there, grilled medium rare, right? Yep. Uh, well, that's funny you say blue quail because I was in Texas teaching a class this January at the very end of Texas quail season, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I've ever eaten blue quail. Like we here in California, we've got Gamble's Valley and yeah. uh, mountain quail, but we don't have the blue and the bob white, right? From where mm-hmm. I'm at. And so we shot these big old blue and I'm like, these things are huge. They're like the size yeah. of our mountain quail, right? And yeah. <clears throat> we plucked it or as we're driving in the truck, I'm sitting there plucking this thing. My whole beard's covered in feathers and we threw it directly onto the, I mean, it was maybe 20 minutes dead. And I threw it right on the grill with just some basic, you know, chupacabra seasoning, which if you're from Texas, you know about chupacabra seasoning. And we just grilled it till it was like medium and we just devoured all these quail. So I'm right there with you. I mean, I, so much so that I, we went and shot a couple more so I could bring them home. So they're here. So that's awesome. Um, and I like the fried okra because here in California, no one even knows what okra is. No, that's a staple. That's for sure. Uh, no. Down here in Texas and probably the rest of the South as well, I'm sure. Now, were you born and raised in Texas? Yes, I was born in West Texas. In fact, if I remember this correctly, like uh, I'm a seventh generation born in Texas. Wow. So my family's been here before Texas was actually Texas. Back when you were fighting Mexicans. Yes. Wow. Even before that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I yeah. was. that's when, like, the French was occupying parts of Texas because they were getting kicked out of Louisiana. Like, yeah. Which, I mean, that's, that's how far back that goes. That's that's crazy um, that you can, 
you can track it back that far. All right, the second one, which is kind of one that is is big for me. It was one that my daughters want me to ask people. What's an insult you've received, but you're actually proud of? Like, what is something that you've been made fun of, but you're actually proud of, of that insult? I think that's a that's a big one. Well, I guess right off the top of my head, probably my accent, which, you know, I'm really not aware of my accent, but I worked in high tech for a while and traveled to the Northeast and it got pointed out pretty quickly that I had a pretty thick accent. So, you know, I guess just being used to it all my life, I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because when I travel to Texas or wherever, I'm like, man, sometimes it is hard to understand. People. like especially when they got their chew in and they're sitting there talking to you and they start spitting yep. I'm like i don't know what you said i'm just gonna yes sir yes sir no ma'am <laughs> no, i think that, that, that's cool own it embrace it be a part yep. of it so well let's just jump right into it um kind of tell people about templar knives how it started what's your role <clears throat> in it and then we'll kind of go from there because if you haven't like i said if you haven't heard of it you're going to learn all about it real quick in, in why you guys started and how you guys started and that you're branching into like the culinary side of it versus just pocket knives. Right. Yeah. So I guess you have to really back up all the way to whenever I was growing up in West Texas. Um, you know, we hunted all over West Texas, Odessa, you know, there's nothing, there's not really anything there in Odessa, the Midland, Odessa Midland area. There's some pronghorn antelope little bit south of Midland, but not very many. But West Texas is a vast area, but we were used to it. I mean, you know, three and a half hour drive to go, you know, dove hunting or something like that on one day wasn't a big deal. And we hunted in the Davis Mountains quite a bit, uh, chasing muleys. Love that. Um, weren't very many whitetails out there. My family had a ranch. Uh, I'd call it you know, more central Texas. It's northeast of, of Abilene off Interstate 20. We had whitetails down there, but primarily we hunted up in West Texas. We didn't hunt there. So we hunted down Sheffield, Bakersfield, the whole, the whole nine yards. I mean, covered that whole area out there and just grew up doing that. And I kind of got on a deal where, if you will, looking for this mythical edge, so to speak, you know, a hunting knife that, you know, you can skin multiple deer without having to resharpen the blade, going bill, having to switch knives and stuff like that. And whether or not that was, you know, uh, founded in any basic logic is a different discussion. So I've kind of always had a fascination for that. I've got a huge box of knives in the closet, uh, you know, from a collection of knives I've had over the years. Fast forward, what happened, I was in, grew up in the oil fields, um, got into high tech when the boom kind of went bust in the 80s. Late, actually late night, early 90s, uh, got into high tech and, you know, traveling all over the country, selling high tech and all that kind of stuff was was a, an interesting and rewarding career in itself. But I was kind of looking, uh, you know, to do something else a little bit more challenging. And my partner, who is actually my brother-in-law, and he's the one that's the creative mind behind everything. I'm just the sales guy. Like, I tell everybody, I joke with him, I'm the steel guy. That's He's right. the one that comes up with innovations and all that stuff. I'm more interested in the, I'm a steel nerd, I guess is what is, is a better way to put it. And <clears throat> he came to me probably, we've been in business right at four years, probably five years ago. And he's like, hey, have you seen these new knives? You know, he said they've legalized them now and everything. And I looked at them and I'll be honest with you, 
I was like, okay, so what's the big deal? You know, it looks like a fidget stick. So it looks like to me, I don't see any practical use for it or anything like that. He kept on, kept talking to me. Finally, I said, okay, I was kind of fed up. I'm tired of traveling. Um, there was a lot of uh, market consolidation going on in IT, you know, getting acquired. I worked for like five different companies, kept getting gobbled up, going through that whole process. And so I was like, okay, you know, maybe this is something I could do, you know, have a change in career, so to speak. That time I said, look, we'll give it six months, you know, we'll test the market and see how it does. And to be honest with you, the, the rest is history. I mean, full disclosure, what got us started and probably 90% of our revenues right now are the OTFs, out the front knives. What we're doing, though, is trying to expand that market. And that's why it's gotten us into the cutlery line as well, the cutlery business. Um, we're trying to make sure we don't have all our eggs in one basket, so to speak. And I've got, I've got an uncle that actually had a cooking show. He won all the chuck wagon cook-offs and all that stuff. And he was a judge. They told him he couldn't compete anymore. So he transitioned to being a judge for all that stuff. Um, I'm not sure how long his cooking show lasted or something. I think it was pretty brief. But anyway, you know, got to visit with him and hang out with him for a while, watching all that stuff. And so we got to thinking about it. And, of course, the barbecue market in Texas is huge. Right, huge. And so we're like, you know what, that's a good market to go after. And, you know, started doing a little bit of research on it. And that's what led us to the cutlery line. And, you know, it's in its infancy stages with us right now, but we're looking for some really big things from that. Yeah. And I think if you go and look at, at their website, you're going to see a lot of uh, that pocket style knife, right? That's your bread mm -hmm. and butter. And there's a ton of different styles you guys have on there, which is they're gorgeous. And some of them are, you know, you can, you can get them in mossy oak dip if you want. Right. I think on, on correct. Yeah. Patterns. We've got a license, a license agreement with mossy oak for five of the patterns, but you can also get them in just like your standard blacks or, you know, army greens, that kind of stuff, which I think is rad. And when, when, you guys reached out to me. I was not in the market to look for another knife. Um, mm -hmm. As you know, someone that works yeah. in knives, you're probably given knives all the, Oh, try this, try this, try this, try this, yeah. try this. Yeah. Um, and it was like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, when Brittany reached out, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. We'll send it over. And you guys sent me a knife and it was kind of that, that boning fillet style knife, which mm -hmm. I absolutely, absolutely love. And we, we got on the phone, we chatted about it. We were all excited. Okay. Yeah, sure. And I remember I took it hunting and, and I've, I've told you guys this story. Uh, I, I went to a class, um, or no, it was the last, the last weekend of, of whitetail season in Texas. And I went up to my buddy's ranch in West Texas, which mm -hmm. you've talked to my buddies over at West Texas Outfitters. And, yes. um, so I was up there with Cody and Matt and they, everyone from the ranch was coming in to fill those hundred tags they had left for their MLD tags. Mm -hmm. And I pull out, we, we, I think we shot 18 deer in like two days Yeah, and all the other guys are kind of newer at it. Me, I'm very, very quick at, at breaking down deer. Cause I, that's what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. And I was going through my knife bag and I pulled out the knife and I'm like, okay, right off the bat, the handle felt awesome. Um, and the weight of the knife felt great because I use a lot of other knives. You know, I use Victor Knox mainly, which a lot of us in the barbecue and the cooking world use the Victor Knox mm -hmm. just because of they're there and they're affordable and they're sharp. And the problem that I find with the Victor Knox boning knife, it's really, really light, right? Cause it's got that mm -hmm. composite handle. 
Um, it doesn't have that through tang. And the when you're sitting there trying to wiggle it around an animal, it's very, very light. And it's 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 great, but it's also you don't feel like you have the control um, when you want to get those precise around the knuckle joints and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I pulled that I, I pulled your guys's knife out, and the first thing I noticed was that nice wooden handle, the heaviness of of the blade itself, the through tang. You know, you, you it's a full tang, right? That you have the two mm-hmm. scales put on each side of it, and I started to break down a deer, and usually it's after a deer and a half, I'm pulling out my, my sharpening sticks and mm-hmm. I'm sharpening up that blade. And so I go to the second deer, I go to the third deer. I am, I'm at, this is taking the hide off, breaking down quarters, cutting out, you know, around knuckles, joints, bones, rib cages. I'm breaking down, breaking down. Next thing I know, all these, all the other guys are over there sharpening their, their knives. And I always do the thumb, the thumbnail test. I don't know if you, yeah. where I put it on my thumbnail, if it slides at all, then I go sharpen it yeah. and it's sticking all the way, even to the very tip. I'm like, well, I don't need to sharpen mine. So I go and I go next thing I know, I did 14 deer with that blade. And mm-hmm. I just looked at it and everyone else is like, you haven't sharpened that blade once. I'm like, not once. Well, then I start breaking down into steaks and, and into mm-hmm. chopping for grinds and sausages and stuff like that. And this still that same exact knife and that's why I literally got, I got on my phone. I got service. I went to like the mountaintop and I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is amazing. And it wasn't just blowing smoke. And I think you say you're a steel guy. Explain to me the steel that you guys are using. Because as a kitchen guy, I am hard on knives. Like you're, you know, you, you said your family was in the barbecue business. When you hit that bone of something, it is going to dull. If you're cutting through something that's not supposed to be softly cut through like a beautiful steak, it's going to mm-hmm. continue to dull that knife. So you're a steel nerd. Talk to us a little bit about the steel that goes into kind of your, your pocket knives as well as like what you're putting into this cutlery line and what makes it different from going to Walmart and grabbing a $25 fillet knife off the counter or, you know, Bass Pro Shop and getting one of their fillet knives that has that white handle. Like what's going to make this different? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of one of the things too. I mean, that's why whenever we, we actually put together, you know, kind of our, our ethos for the company, we actually decided to put four pillars and one of the pillars is education. And the reason being is because it, it really surprised me just how little the general public understands or even knows about steel. Right. They've heard some terms like D2 or stainless steel or something like that. But other than that, they don't know anything. And so in, in, in going about this, full disclosure, uh, I've got a good friend, Todd Bag of Bag Knives. Um, Todd is a phenomenal knife maker. He's an artist in his own right, makes custom knives, the whole nine yards. And Todd uses RWL34 exclusively on his knives. It's, it's actually the company's Dama Steel. They're, they're actually the oldest foundry in the world. They've been in business since 1676. They're famous for the other steel, more so than RWL, which is uh, Damacor. And it's a Damascus. And it is the only Damascus steel in the world that when they forge it, that's it, it's done. They don't have to take two different steels and hammer forge them and all that stuff. It's a powdered steel. And so the best way to explain it uh, the super steels have come about, and that's what the RWL34 is, super steel, powdered steel, whichever term you want to use. 
And once again, I, I, I borrow this analogy, um, but I get full credit because I stole it from top back. Mm-hmm. It's the simplest analogy I've ever heard. So you've got your normal steels, like everybody's used to, like a D2 or whatever. It doesn't matter, 154 CM, whatever. They're, they're just your average steels. So the difference between an average steel and a powdered steel, the best analogy is, you know, take a pot of stew. In that stew, you've got chunks of beef, carrot, potatoes. Think of those as the carbon, the chromium, the bandium, just as a few of the components that go in to make a blade steel. That's your normal steel. Now, if you take that same stew, pour it in a, a blender and puree it, that's a powdered steel. Now, it's a very simplified version, but, you know, most people don't want the details, you know, down in the weeds or anything like that. But the process on that, it's really fascinating because I talked to Todd about it. And Todd actually went over to Sweden and spent three weeks over there with Dama Steel. And basically, the way they, they're known also, um, they probably had the most advanced process for making the, the powdered steel. So they've got basically think of a, a big grain silo. They've got the steel in a molten state. And they're dropping it from the very top of that. And as it's coming down, they're hitting it with high pressure gas. And it's causing these little pellets, these sparks and their little pellets. And they'll collect them at the bottom. Mm. And basically, in a, nut, in a nutshell, it's the most refined steel that you can get. And so they'll scoop up the pellets and then they'll make the rounds or whatever, you know, that you can then press or whatever to make, you know, the sheets or, or whatever you want, you know, to be able to make the blades out of. So it's the, the most refined process for making pure steel. So that's where the powdered steel comes from. And the RWL, the history behind the RWL, RWL, they named it RWL after uh, Bob Loveless, Robert Loveless. And the reason being is because, he one, he was a hell of an innovator and came up with a lot of stuff, but he used a steel it was ATS-34 out of Japan and he was using it for bearings. It was a stainless steel, uh, stainless steel. And basically ATS for the, the knife or steel nerds is basically a copy of 154 CM, which is a U.S. made steel. Right. Um, they had, Carpenter had some issues at first. Um, ATS-34, uh, they, they made it. Weren't having troubles with it. So basically what happened, Dama Steel took a look at, at that because of Rob Loveless's work and then turned that into a powdered steel. And that's how they came up with the RWL 34. So <clears throat> that's the story behind that with uh, the ATS was known for its edge retention and everything. So when you take that steel and then you refine it to the degree that the powdered metallurgy does, uh, that's how you get that edge retention and the, the blade wearability and all that good stuff that goes into that. And hence, you get a knife that performs like, you know, what you experienced. The only thing I will say about this, and it, it's kind of blown my mind, I don't understand why this steel hasn't really taken off in, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, the tactical world, you know, folders and stuff like that. But I think part of it, is is there's a lot of uh it's just not that well known right i guess for lack of a better way of putting it their damascor steel is because everybody's a damn you know damascus everybody loves damascus steel the the patterns and all that kind of stuff 
So, so for people that don't know, when we talk about Damascus steel, it's when you're taking layers of steel, placing it upon it, and that's where you'll get those really cool patterns. If you've ever watched like Forge and Fire, they're like, do, do a Damascus. Mm-hmm. And there's different types. There's ladder, there's teardrop, there's, I mean, waves, y- y- you name it. So what it is, it's just taking multiple layers of steel and putting it together. Correct? I mean, correct me yeah, if, I'm, if I'm wrong. Two different, two different types of steel and then how many times you fold it. And what a lot of people don't understand either is whenever they, they finish that, it looks like a normal blade. But whenever they acid wash it, one of the two steels will react to the acid, and that's how you get the pattern. Mm. So how are they how are they doing it with that powdered steel then? Are they are they making different sheets with it, or with the process itself? Is that itself becoming a Damascus style steel in that powder? Yeah, with the process itself. So they're using RWL thirty four, and they're using the Damacore, and they're mixing the two powders together. Mm, okay. And then when they heat it to smelt that. They've already, it's a Damascus blade and they offer, I think, I haven't really looked into, I looked into it one time because we thought about, you know, taking a look at that for, you know, the rest of the cutlery line that we're coming out with the, we're going to do a paring knife, a six and eight inch chef knife and a chopper. And then I believe, uh, maybe the breaking knife or something like that. And, but it's just, that stuff is, it's super expensive. Yeah, uh, it's a phenomenal steel, but you know, for where we're trying to operate, it's just, it's to you know you get into that'd be more like a custom knife right. from a price point standpoint. Now I'm wondering if I'm I'm curious because with it keeping its edge retention and stuff like that, is it because of the smelting process and the the powder process that there's less surface area? There's there's less pockets of air and because I know when you during normal foundry type stuff when you're pounding out, you're actually leaving little right little pockets and that's what mm-hmm. you're trying to do is finish that out with that powdering. Do you feel that maybe that's less air getting in, less oh, absolutely. less, less from, molecules, less less it's, yes. it's it's a tighter I mean when you when you cut steel and look at it in a microscope, you know, it it looks like a honeycomb, right? Because of yes. all these different patterns. Is it a smaller honeycomb if you were to cut that that steel Oh yeah, it's a lot smaller out? because it's it's the most refined you can actually get the steel. Um it's the most refined you could actually make the steel you know, from, from a starting point. So you got very, very little impurities in it whatsoever. Yeah. It's just, again, I'm, I'm one of those type of nerds who, when I start to get excited about something, I research and I'm like, why the heck am I researching this? Like (laughs) something had to leave my brain to to add this back in. Like I I'm losing childhood memories, learning about different things. Um, But I think it's worth it and awesome. So now you guys are using that type of steel currently. Or a version of that steel. Yeah. No, that's that the bony knife that you the sample or not the sample, but the bony knife that you have is RWL thirty four from Damas Steel. And is that what you're using in your folders and pocket knives and all and tacticals and all the other things? Or using a different type no, of steel? No, in, in those we're using the, the base model um, in the premium line. We're using a powder D two steel, and in the more of the budget line, the Gen the what we call our Gen two series, we're using four forty C stainless. We do. We did do a limited run of Elmax, which is a, another company out of the Sweden, uh, not out of the Sweden, out of Sweden. Um, Bowler Steel. Um, you'll see a lot of uh, Elmax. They like they came out with M three ninety last year, um, so now everybody's using M three ninety as well. But we did a limited run with Elmax. I think Elmax is a great steel. Um, we actually did a limited run too 
um, for the OTFs with a, a Damascus, a high-end stainless steel Damascus with a VG10 core, which VG10 is a patterned steel that was developed by the Japanese. And you see VG10 in a lot of cutlery as well, uh, especially for kitchen knives and whatnot. And yeah, it's I actually have I have a chef's knife in that steel. Um, yeah. But that that steel you have to be very careful with. I have to like oil it. Um, yeah. And really, really take care of, of that. Like once it's, it's rinsed in cold water, like that's how you're washing it and mm-hmm. taking care of it. Um, but I think for me, like I'm excited to, to hear the story. I'm excited to, to hear to people to actually hear what steel is, because when you think about a blade, you're, you're not just going to go like, I, I get all the time. I get asked like, why does that blade cost so much money? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's not because you guys are trying to get rich off of it. Because you <laughs> yeah. guys are using the, you guys are using superior products. Um, as a yeah. chef, I can go to Walmart grocery store and I can buy a soy sauce and mm-hmm. I can cook a phenomenal meal with that $1.97 bottle of soy sauce. Mm-hmm. I can then go to uh, a Japanese company that I, that I know very well and I can buy a $500 bottle of soy sauce that's been fermented for two and a half years in mm-hmm. an ancient Japanese style of whatever. And I can make that same dish and it's going to taste phenomenal, but it's going to taste just a little bit better because mm-hmm. of all the flavors. And I think when you look at knives and blades, like you talked about the stew, I feel that's the same way. It's when you take the time to use a better quality product, you're going to get a overall better quality knife. Correct. No, I agree. I mean, it used to stay with your analogy. I mean, I'm sure everybody's gone to Walmart and just bought a steak and you know, gone home, cooked it, and they're like, eh, it doesn't really hit, you know, use the same seasonings and whatnot, still didn't taste the same. But if you get a prime, you know, from somewhere, it's just got, you know, it's what I always tell everybody, it depends on what you start with. You know, right. I, my uncle, for example, when I was talking about earlier, he told me, he said he wouldn't cook anything but certified Angus. That was it. That was his philosophy, the whole nine yards. And he said, once you start with that, he said, it doesn't matter what you do. He said, you can't really screw it up unless you're just terrible. Right. Well, it's so. like my, my father-in-law, he loves to cook briskets, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'll just go to Costco and get a Costco brisket. He's like, it just didn't taste the same. It didn't hit the same. I'm like, well, yeah, because you spent $47 on a brisket mm-hmm. versus going to the butcher and getting a brisket. Like, I have a brisket upstairs for, we're celebrating my mother-in-law on Saturday for her Mother's Day. And mm-hmm. um, Snake River Farms sent me a... 10 and a half pound Wagyu brisket. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is a $300 brisket. Yep. Just look at the marbling. Look at the, look at the process. Look at all the things that go into it versus the Walmart version of a brisket, which was $47. Like it's the same, it's the same concept when you go into it. And I think that's where it lies. And yeah, it, I think it does turn some people off when they look at price points of knives. Cause they expect they grew up with that little folder that they got for Christmas and they're mm-hmm. 13 and that's what they're expecting. So when they look at a knife and it's like 130 bucks, I think some people get scared of that. But again, there's a reason I have a pocket knife that has fallen down cliffs with me and I pick mm-hmm. it up and I can still use it versus that knife where I open it up and it's all rusted and corroded. And, and even with your guys's blade, I purposely, uh, I took a blade, um, that, um, the cutlery knives that you're telling me, and I like to see how it reacts if you forget about it. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, I butchered down one of the deer and I left it. I left it on the table. I'm like, I'm going to give this overnight and see what happens to this blade, you know, because sometimes you'll get those cheap blades that'll just, they'll rust up. They'll be disgusting. Yeah. They'll start falling apart. And I went and rinsed that off with cold water and it looked brand new. 
And I was like, okay, that's another check mark for me of the quality of stuff because there are times where we get busy, we throw it back in our knife bag because mm-hmm. we get a rush in the restaurant or our kids start crying at home or we have to go shoot another deer. And so yeah. for me, I was, I was really surprised and encouraged by that. And I'm not like, I get like I told you guys in the email, I'm not just saying it to say it. I'm, I'm a snob when it comes to my blades. Um, mm-hmm. And you guys even sent me a bunch to use in my classes, which I am thankful, thankful, thankful of. And I took it to Turkey camp and three of the guys at Turkey camp were breaking down turkeys with it. And they're like, uh, where do I buy this? And I was like, right here, this is where you buy it. <laughs> um, so I think it's awesome that, that you guys are doing that and kind of explain more. You said you have a, um, a couple more blades coming out uh, in the future. Yeah. So right now we're waiting on the, we're, we're working on the prototypes right now for the, the paring knife, a six and eight inch chef knife. Um, and then a cleaver. We had a lot of people, so they wanted a chopper. Of course, you know, barbecue's real big down here, and everybody's talking about doing you know, chopped brisket sandwiches and whatnot. So we thought we'd take a stab at it. We're not going to use RWL34 for that because I think that's that's a waste of good steel. Yeah, because that's a lot of steel. Yeah, it's a lot of steel. One, two, you don't need a refined edge, you know, for chopping brisket on a, on a cutting board. The other thing, too, is um, with the economy like it is, we've gotten – two notices from Dama Steel over the last five months and they've had a total, it's now it's up to 40, it's, we've had a 45% increase in price on the steel alone. Wow. So we got lucky. We ordered enough steel before all that hit. And so we've got plenty of steel to make, you know, probably 34, 3,600, 3,600, you know, bony knives. And so what we're going to do, we're going to save all of that just for the bony knife. And then on the chef line, the chef knives right now, we're looking at probably that the the high-end stainless steel VG10 Damascus. Right. You know, for those, everybody, you know, a lot of the feedback we've had is everybody wants Damascus. So we're going to take a look at that as well. And, you know, hopefully, um, I'm not going to hold my breath, but the economy, you know, will start straightening out here, you know, sometime in the process can come back down because with those kind of price increases, it's going to, you know, it really starts pushing the price point up to where it's, you know, it's going to cut our market down considerably. And I think, uh, well, that's for everybody, everybody and everything right now. Like I don't yeah. buy, I don't buy meat at the grocery store cause I hunt 99% yeah. of what I eat. Right. And my grocery bills used to be like 80 bucks a week cause it was mm-hmm. just getting fresh produce and make stuff. This, I'm buying the same exact stuff and my bills are now like 160. I'm like, yeah. how, how do my groceries double in the, in the matter of, you know, it's like, oh, well, gas and inflation. And being here in California, it's like, I mean, I paid five ninety for my gas yesterday mm-hmm. like, per gallon. And that's just basic. That's like the cheapest 87 you can get. You know, uh, diesel right now is almost $7 a gallon in California. Mm-hmm. And so you think about these truckers, a lot of produce, a lot of products are coming into, you know, Long Beach Harbor, LA Harbor to get shipped out to everywhere around the world. Those ships are filling up, you know, those those trucks are filling up gas. And so of course it's going to increase mm-hmm. everything around there, which is just ridiculous. I mean, I hate it, but you smile and nod because really there's nothing we can do. Um, yeah. So no, you're right. It is what it is. So we just figure out a way to, you know, to deal with it and then, you know, maneuver and come up with a new plan. Yeah. Well tell everybody where they can find you guys. Actually, before we do that, why'd you come with Templar? Like, what is the, why did you choose Templar knives? Because again, I watch a lot of Oak Island and yeah. I'm like, oh, Templar. Like, that's all I think <laughs> about is like the Knights Templar 
run around, but your guys' logo is awesome. Like what made you guys come up with that brand name? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I haven't had it in a while, but there for a while, it's not, you know, that, that was the number one question. Oh, you guys fans of Oak Island? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, yes. And full disclosure, I do watch it. I'm, I'm very curious about what, what happened there. Them finding out what exactly, you know, the big deal was. Yeah, but now they got like Skinwalker Ranch and. Oh yeah. That one's pretty, that one's a little pretty fascinating as well. Uh, but... Like what is it? The Aztec gold? Like, the oh yeah. Fam- like I'm, I'm, st- I'll just sit there and watch all like discovery channel. You got me. I'm hooked, but. Yeah, yep. what, like, but where, why'd you guys choose that name? Well, so full disclosure, uh, I've always been a big hili- uh, military history buff. And so we were sitting around talking. I was like, well, you know what? Um, this is, had nothing to do with Oak Island or anything like that. But I've always kind of been fascinated with the Templars because of the military history and all that stuff. And I was like, well, you know what? That's a name that's recognizable. And I said, you know what? Those guys made their living by their steel. And so that's how we came up with the name. Tipler knife. <clears throat> Full disclosure, I'm not a Mason. Uh, didn't realize I knew there were, there were Shriners and whatnot, but I had no idea that there was a, an order within the Masons, you know, which were which are Templars. Yeah. Uh, found that out pretty quick. Um, <laughs> been approached several times. So I know they're just like, about they're like, they're like, where's your ring? Where's your ring? Do you know the secret handshake? You're like, no, I don't know. I'm from Texas. Yeah, I agree. you're a traveling man. I was like, well, I guess I've traveled to here, you know, and that's I didn't realize that was one of their, you know you're supposed to have a certain response to that. Right. So found that out pretty quick as well. Awesome. So in full disclosure, that's how the day came about. I, I figured it was something like that. But I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, first thing you think of is like, Oh, Templars. I wonder if they buried treasure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, well, tell everybody where they can find Templar knives on social media websites, kind of all that good jazz that people could follow along and see new products coming along and, go buy a knife. Like, is there a way that they can, you know, buy a knife and all that good jazz? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> the knives are, are, are carried, even the bony knives are carried by, you know, the national distributors, but we've got a website. It's www.templarknifewithanf.com. And you can go there and we'll click on cutlery for the bony knives. Uh, social media, you know, we've got an Instagram account. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the, uh, the URL, I guess, if, if for lack of a better way, put it is for that the Facebook. But on our on our <coughs> excuse me, on our website, there's links to all our social media at the bottom. In fact, probably one of the things we're gonna do, we're having actually having conversations. We had one earlier this week with our marketing company. And once we get the go ahead and start full production for the rest of the cutlery line, we're probably gonna set up a sec, a, a secondary website and just move all the cutlery stuff to that and have it completely separate from uh, the rest of the knives, I guess what you call a tactical world or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's Templar knife with an F not knives. If you look at them for on all social media platforms, you can go, you can hit them up. Um, and they're pretty responsive too. you'll, you know, if you ask them a question, um, they're pretty good at answering back from what I've realized in, in the beginning. Um, and if you guys need anybody to sample those chef knives, you know, a guy that, you can reach out to. He's sitting right across from you and I will give you honest feedback on all the knives that you're doing. Um, but I want to thank you, Sean, for coming on and talking a little bit about, about you guys' company, about what you guys do. I know I'm excited um, to kind of further show people this knife, get it in the hands of some new people this year. We've already got three classes set up. One of them that we're doing, which I was going to talk to you a little bit about later, is we're doing it with some wounded vets, uh, mm-hmm. am- am- amputee vets um, to be exact. We've got a whole... This one, we're taking them out to that that ranch in West Texas, um, and we're going to give them 
the full from field to plate process um, of, awesome. of hunting and suing stuff. So getting those knives in, in their hands and letting them see it. these guys who understand blades and understand um, real real world scenarios and get them excited about that. So again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sending me those knives. I'm, I'm a huge fan already and, and you already know that. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have anything else to say before we get out of here? No, I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, you know, we're a huge fan of the stuff that you do as well. Follow you on social media. Uh, we'll even try out some of your recipes when we get, a, you know, a, get a chance when we slow down enough. Um, but yeah, just great for the opportunity. And I, I look at it right now as the, the, the bony knives right, right now, that stuff's just kind of one of the best kept secrets in the market right now. Nobody knows about them. Well, not yet. Cause it will, they will after they listen to this. So anyway, thank you for coming on again, check out Templar knives and uh, follow them on all your social media fl- platforms and get ready for some cool content coming out with their blades and from field to plate until we meet again, my friends, I'll talk to you later. <laughs>